Keep going for it anyhow. Just let's, let's ram this show in there. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome over 50, starting over. I'm Barry Edwards. And I'm Merle Garrison. I don't have a microphone today in spite of a lot of efforts, so we're going to give this a shot. We haven't missed a single week in two and a half years. I don't want to start now, but this may not make it we're having internet connection problems as well. Uh, but Merle, I had a, a big week. I wanted to share a couple things with you. Yeah, and, good. And uh, you're gonna you're gonna find this pretty exciting. Uh, I just sent a book to the printer today, and uh, this is what it looks like. And wow, there you have it. That's very nice. Oh, thank you. And so what you're looking at, really, this is the cover here. Let me put this on. Oh, yeah, there we are. So this is the cover. This middle is the spine once it's folded over the book. And this is the back. I laid out text and everything for it. So I just wanted to show you what that whole thing will look like. And it's it's just super exciting. I love doing book covers. I've only had the opportunity to do about five in my life. And uh, I'm trying to get my uh, my client, friend and client here to do a sequel real quick. Very nice. <clears throat> this is definitely a book that would catch my attention in the uh, in the bookstore. Uh, there's just something about it that uh, that get, maybe it's the, the sneakers with the shoelaces that gets my attention there. But uh, very interesting um, uh, uh, cover. Nice work. Thank you. That, uh, that's interesting that you said that because that was exactly what it's supposed to do. Now, if you read the title, it's like the depressed motivational speaker. That's all. Yeah, there's an oxymoron. Yeah, right. Oxymoron. So then you see the guy who is uh, very intentionally a shadow, a silhouette, it's, you know, signifying the darkness. But then you go like, you know, the spotlight is right to these laces that you know so you say sneakers what and when you read the book you'll figure that out within about the first five pages oh cool <clears throat> something else about it too even though this uh depressed motivational speaker the way the the way the person is standing isn't in a depressed uh, manner it's more in a relaxed manner well you might even say arrogant which also plays into the story it's the interesting it's, it symbolizes his side of his personality that in turn makes him depressed, that messes with his mind, causes him anxiety. And therefore, anxiety is like the vehicle that takes you to depression. And that's what the book is about. And I got to tell you, I think that I, so in order to do the cover, of course, I had to read it. In order to read it, I had, the, I had been given the manuscript as a PDF. And I couldn't stay tethered to my computer for 16 hours reading this book. So I found, I did a little research, found an Adobe PDF reader app, and then I downloaded a PDF audio. And I had oh. a voice read it to me while I'm walking the dog and everything. And it worked out well, very well. And uh, so I think, well, first of all, it's a very well-written book. And I'm going to have Jim Kaluch on as a guest speaker at some point uh, and do a special episode with him. But the, the subject matter is riveting because 
I've not heard anyone really talk about depression in a really relatable way. And then on the journey, this guy uh, has a suicide attempt very early in the book. Is this about him or is it uh, fictional? About him, but mm, taking a step further. What do you want to say? Exaggerate. He says it's, you know, he's battled depression throughout his life, but he's known other people that have as well. And so he just let his imagination run the course. And, uh, and he's, he's been a motivational speaker for 40 years and has taught or spoken in front of uh, hundreds of thousands of people. So he's, had, he's known a lot of people and a lot of circumstances. So he really clearly knew what he was talking about when he wrote this. And, but it's not just about dealing with the depression. It's about bottoming out from it and recovering from it. And it's a kind of methodology that comes about. I think it's a fascinating book and I'm going to help market the thing. And uh, so it's coming out soon. I'm going to on Facebook start posting my initial proofs and uh, people like to do these design contests on my page and uh, see where that takes us. And I want people to start to buy into the whole thing, feel a little bit of fun. Just for kicks, I want to show you something kind of fun, uh, fun and cool. And that is the creation process. Just for this, just take a second if I can find this thing. Okay, so this is my original art. And- uh, Okay. Where'd you come up with that? How did you how did you come up with that? Well, that was quite a uh, evolutionary process, and I'd have to pull up a bunch of other files on its evolution. But you know, I just verbally talked to my clients, and my first concept was a guy on a stage backlit, so you know, it's a silhouette, and a couple mm-hmm. of the text it speaks right to it, and he's like, you know, that's about what I was thinking too. So I started with that. Uh, I don't want to give away why I ended up with a guy in this kind of rather arrogant stance wearing tennis shoes because the giveaway is in the book. Uh, But that evolved into that. And then uh, I just kind of kept playing with it and said, what if we zoomed way in like this? I don't, did you see me zoom or does it? Yeah, I did. So that we get right to the focal point of the whole thing. That's kind of an artistic design thing is that, or even a photography thing. You want to crop everything out that's absolutely not necessary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so anyways, uh, I did it all very low resolution. And then when I, well, I had to, um, I had to draw the thing in high resolution. And so I want to show, just briefly, just quickly, I just wanted to show you this. So I did my floor first, and that looks pretty wild, I know. I don't even want to show you how I got to that point. Um, but uh, I started, this is now the front of the stage. Mm-hmm. I on reflections of the curtains uh, on the floor because it reflects off of there because of the light. Right. Yeah. Curtains that I drew, and it's just a manner of drawing a little bit of them and then re- replicating them across them. Almost everything is some lighting, uh, some darkness there, some further sh- shadow. Then uh, that's my final curtain. Some more lighting, 
Uh, I love playing with lighting. It's always been like a, a hallmark of mine. More lighting. Uh, it's got to do the spotlight on the floor. Oh, that's uh, a filter. That and that. Uh, I mean, that looks cool. Yes, but for the the mood, I needed that filter right there. And spotlight on the floor. And more. You see my lights all right there. Yep. Uh, a shadow. Oops. Another shadow under his feet there. Uh, the guy himself, I found, I Googled and I want to be sensitive about this. I couldn't get a copyright infringement because of what it, you're not seeing the lightness, uh, but it was a fashion bomb. Well, it, that was silhouetted or you silhouetted it? I silhouetted it. Uh, so gotcha. that I could use it as such. And uh, oh, my chair's down there at the bottom. Just drew one chair and then replicated it. Uh, but that dude had the most punchable face. That's why I, <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> you know, uh, and then what's that? The final lighting right there. So that's how that all came out. It's very high res. So I'm sure we'll be using it for other stuff uh, in the future. But man, I love doing that work. If I could do that stuff in logos all day, every day, I'd be a very happy. Uh, pretty cool stuff, Barry. I mean, you know, typically we don't get to see how the cake is baked when it comes to these types of things. I always wonder, you know, how did they come up with that idea or this idea? And here's another thing, that old saying, uh, you can't judge a book by its cover. While I agree to some extent on that, there's hints on the cover about what the book is going to be like typically. And so, um, you know, believe it or not, when people are in the bookstore, they are actually judging the book by the cover. I do it all the time. And the other thing, too, is I love going to the bookstore and I love what you're doing there, Barry, because you're adding to the 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 magic of the bookstore by putting those types of covers out there that inspire imagination and interest. And I I think that. uh, this author is going to do very well with uh, with your with your work on on the label, which is the cover. So congratulations on getting that out. I know you worked really hard on that. I certainly did, uh, and uh, really enjoyed it. What a cool way to put that! Adding to the magic of the bookstore. Oh, I'm telling you. So Barry, I went to Borders the other day. I haven't been to Borders for a few months. I, you know, I love books. I most of the books I read now are on Kindle. Uh, but I still love to have, I love having a hardback book and, uh, you know, sort of like going into the bike shop, there's a smell like the atmosphere and I just get all giddy. It's the same thing when I go to a bookstore. The first thing I do when I go into a bookstore is I go, "Ah." (laughs) I could stay there for hours, man. I love it there. Uh, I know I'm a freak, but I know I'm not alone on that whole thing. And there's other people that feel the same way. So thank you for doing that. I I appreciate that. Well, we used to have a really nice borders out here, but that closed up like 10 years ago. I'm sorry, it's Barnes and Noble that I went to because borders borders was my favorite. I, there was just something about borders that I loved, and yeah, I close. I was but I was so bummed out when that store closed. Barnes and Noble's a, a close second. Um, but you know, it's funny when, uh, Kindle started to come out, Anne Marie told me that, uh, this is going to be the end of bookstores. And I'm like, no, it's not. And then bookstores started to disappear. And I'm like, no, I don't want you to be right about this. Cause it's just something. 
And uh, you know something I wanted to talk about that I started doing a little research on, but I would like to have a guest or two on, is um, one of those tough subjects that we should be talking about on the show, and that is, how do you know when to put your mom or your dad into some assisted living facility? Oh, that's a tough subject right there. It's very tough, and it's kind of like talking about death. Nobody wants to do it. but. Right. It's about it's about uh, getting real and and talking about those things. I uh, and, and it goes in, in hand in hand with another thing that I wanted to talk more about. We talked a little bit about uh, losing a spouse, like mm-hmm. I unexpectedly we don't, we we touched on that for a minute because you had a friend that went through that, yeah, and she told us a little bit about the financial things but it's a, that's something we should explore more and you know who might be a really good guest for that who's that the mom i'm sorry mom my mom yeah. oh yeah she would be she would be great at that i know she's watching the show so she's probably thinking about coming on the show right now so <laughs> Um, yeah, well, she definitely went through it and she was in her, um, she was in her fifties when that happened. And, uh, I remember, uh, she handled it so well that it was sort of amazing to me. I, I felt like when my dad first passed away that I was going to be the one that was going to need to lift her up and, and help her through it. I felt like it was just the opposite. She really helped me through it and seemed to be a pillar of strength through that entire time. Uh, I remember shortly after my dad passed away, uh, the local newspaper, the Hudson Hub, did an article on my my mom and how she was doing after my dad passed away. And I just found that recently and went through it. And I was kind of blown away by her strength and her clear-minded approach to this whole situation. And of course, then, you know, life starts to change as you come through that whole grief period. And, you know, uh, it's very refreshing to see how she, she dealt with it. I think it's a story of victory. Not everybody has that story though, but she definitely did. So I think that, you know, that's something we should think about, but I also say that for listeners, if you, if you are someone, that would be a good contributor to that conversation, losing a spouse in your fifties and the things, unexpected things that you have to deal with and adjust to love to either have you on, or if you don't, you know, you don't want to come on, you can just write in and tell us about it. We'll re, you know, we'll share it. Yeah. That's uh that's a good point. Like, like we did for the other person that I met, I met her out here actually. And <clears throat> my mom was there as well. And, a lot of the things that this person was saying were resonating as far as a, you know, we, there's a shared experience there. I don't want to have that shared experience ever. And I want my wife to have that experience, but you know, reality is that these are things that can happen. And I mean, you don't, you don't necessarily know that it's going to happen. And certainly that's what happened with my mom. It was very sudden and completely out of left field. Yeah. I know that, uh, all Lisa has to say about that is if she goes first, is I'm never, <laughs> I'm never allowed to date again. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's a good one. My, you know, uh, I remember uh, having one of my aunts tell me before she passed away that if I were, I was a teenager at the time, she told me that if I 
were to get in trouble that she would haunt me. And being a teenager, uh, she passed away. And I was constantly looking over my, uh, what was that noise? Aunt Sarah? <laughs> Just, you know, um, yeah. So uh, hopefully <laughs> that's a serious threat right there. My dad did the same thing. He told me, if there's a way to haunt you, I'm going to do it. So I'm pretty sure there's no way to do it because he, he hasn't jumped out from behind anything. Okay. So let's, uh, I, I wanted, I got to, something. Okay. Okay. But I wanted to lay that out there for a future conversation when we can get, I thought about even putting something out on LinkedIn, you know, if anybody has had this experience, we'd like to come on the show. We would like to talk to you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That could be very emotional. I'm a softy when it comes to this kind of stuff. Okay. Um, so what you were you said you had something i want to i do this is for you know the over 50 starting over point i just wanted to read something here that i found very inspiring and it's an article that uh i had someone forwarded this to me from uh, um from an organization called awaken awaken through awaken the world through enlightened media and this one is it's very positive it says uh the most productive age in human life is between 60 and 70 years of age. Something we don't really think about very often, but let me just read a little bit of this. It says, you may be thinking that you're too old to start a business or make a difference. As a baby boomer, I can tell you the most productive age in human life is between 60 and 70 years of age. What's even better, the possibilities of your future are endless. So get this, the most productive age in human life between 60 and 70 says this, the second most productive stage in human life is between 70 and 80 years of age. So it just keeps getting better and better. The third most productive stage is between 50 and 60 years of age. Well, here's some stats. The average age of Nobel Prize winners, 62 years old. The average age of the presidents of predominant companies in the world is 63 years. The average age of the pastors of the 100 largest churches in the U.S. is 71. The average age of the Pope is 76 years. This tells us in a way that it has been determined that the best years of your life are between 60 and 80 years of age. When you're in your 60s, 70s, or 80s, that's when life starts getting really good. You've got all the skills and accomplishments under your belt, so everything is starting to gel for the best. And here's the key. It's not just because we're because we age, but also because our personalities are coming together. There's a logical reason for this. It's true that when you're young, you're still feeling your way, uh, acquiring skills you need to you need and laying the foundations of your future achievements. Most of our 20s and 30s are spent on romance, wooing a future partner, <clears throat> and creating and bringing up a family. God, I know that. The responsibility of making a living, of educating our children, of taking care of our parents is a time-consuming one that inevitably distracts us from the single-minded approach on professional accomplishments. Almost done here. In other words, most people's social and, and, and personal circumstances mean that their lives are so designed that the best years of a person's life are between 60 and 80. This is the age when they have acquired whatever skills you're, you're likely to learn, made plenty of mistakes, but also learned from those experiences in order for them not to happen again on future endeavors or relationships with other people within our society, as well as yourselves, because it can lead into self-discovery, which may be one way we grow more human every day. So if you're turning 60, don't give up. Remember, the best years of your life lie ahead.
Man, that was great. Uh, a very positive spin and, and the truth. I mean, he, he made some great points there that you can you can see. They jump off the page. Where was that published? Like I said, that was uh, that was on Awaken. Um, I, I have the website on our on our page. You can you can steal that and and post it up there. Uh, December 25th, uh, 2021. So on Christmas, that came out. Well, you know, we've been preaching that since we started the show is that by the time you get in your 50s, you've accumulated so much expertise. That That's a thing. That is the thing. And, you know, it's kind of like a, yeah, they, uh, that former accountant, a partner in an accounting firm on a couple of weeks ago, Howard Cass, and he, he retired from the firm. He didn't need to retire, retire. He went into mentoring with that 10,000 jobs thing that... Mm-hmm program with um, all that huge bank. I forget the name of that bank, but uh, he, he's loving that. He's loving that. Just getting to mentor uh, young business, uh, potential business owners, entrepreneurs and stuff. And that's the thing. At, at 50s, in your 50s and then 60s, you're just, you're at the pinnacle of, uh, of all this knowledge. And I think that it made a very good point in that article that we got our stuff out of the way too. That personality development, ego stuff, most of us do. By the time we're in our 50s and 60s, it's like, okay, it's time for redemption. And just, you know, you're living kind of more like eye to eye with life now, instead of mm, behind the facades or, or uh, ego and uh, different trips that we go on in our mind. You know what I mean? I do. And, you know, when you get to this point, uh, you also take on some other things, you know, regarding personality. They were talking about he was talking about that in the article. And, uh, you know, you get to a point where earlier in your life, you really cared about uh, like somebody's not going to like this. I, I mean, it's the truth, but this person's not going to like it. I don't know. You get to a certain point where you're like, you know, I don't really care about that. I just care about what's right. And um, somebody might get mad. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. That's not my intention. And you start to realize that your intentions are the major thing here. Uh, You're really trying to help. And you can talk through that because your personality is strong enough. You've risen above this whole self-centered kind of thing. And you're you're outside of yourself right now. Um, I had an interview. And in, in this interview that I was in, <clears throat> this is a while back, um, somebody asked me what, this was an interesting, this, this goes along with this. Uh, they said, uh, what's, your, what's your, your superpower? If you had a superpower that you were bringing into this business, what, what is your superpower? And I answered the question just very, very honestly. But I thought about it a lot afterwards and thought, I wonder if he's ever heard that answer to the question before. Never had that question before myself. I thought it was a good one. But my answer was that I love and I love people. And that's my superpower. And um, it's not the kind of love where, I mean, it's that agape kind of love is what I'm trying to say. The kind where I'm outside of myself and I really get a lot of joy and pleasure from helping other people, sort of like uh, this person you were talking about that that you interviewed, he's mentoring people. There's a 
uh, a joy that comes with that type of thing that I don't think you could feel when you're younger because there's so much inside of your own self and self-conscious that when you get to a certain age, you can put that love on, you've developed this love, right? And you can help other people. You can be very straightforward with them. You can be blunt when you need to, but you can soften it up with the language, but you get to these goals and your major goal is you want for this person to have joy in their lives. And sometimes when it comes to the sales approach uh, or whatever, the business approach, <clears throat> joy is going to come with success in achieving your goals and your missions, which those missions are usually not just business oriented. They go back home with you because these people aren't just in business to be in business. They're there to support their families and have a quality of life and, and provide a quality of life for their kids and for their spouses and for their parents and all of that kind of stuff. When you can help somebody win, they win in life. And there's you can't put a price on that. That's price. Of course, I love making money. But if you can make money doing something that gives you joy, it's not work anymore. It's it's a pleasure. It's something you get to do. And that's I, I, that's where I want to stay. That's where I personally want to be <clears throat> for the rest of my life, really. No, for sure. And there's two really good points that you said I want to bring out here. And that is, uh, one, you get, you receive what you put out there. I mean, you know, what you're pushing out, uh, you're going to receive. That's big. That's a good idea to push that uh, agape kind of love out there the rest of your life. The other thing that I really think needs mentioned again is you said intention. Uh, you know, if my if I have a good intention on something, I don't have to worry about how I'm being perceived. And you're also thinking that about other people. What are their intentions? How do they, mm. like, if they live their life with good intentions, you have all the forgiveness in the world for minor mistakes. That's you know? true. So I think it's really important that we live our life with a clear intention. Mm. Mm. That, what you're saying, I mean, I think helping people, we've talked about this a lot, but, you know, if you got, if you're down in the dumps enough to go to a counselor, that counselor, the first thing they're going to say is do some volunteer work, call someone up and help them, help an old lady across the street. It's always going to be about helping other people. And because you get it back, you get, you sure do. Boy, you sure do. You know, when I was living in Woodland Hills, I had, I called it my, my homeless ministry because I, I, I never believed in giving people a bunch of money or anything like that on the street, but I, I do believe in helping people. And uh, sometimes I would uh, bring blankets out there and other times Anne Marie would bake cookies and I would go out and give them to people. You should have seen the reactions people had when I'd give them like these warm cookies and everything. Um, you know, regardless of whatever the circumstances, maybe they put themselves there, who knows, but they're there. And, and I, you know, I, I overlooked that there's a guy that, um, I would see all the time. His name was Chad and, uh, boy, he just, it was, it's a sad story. What happens with these guys. But, uh, when my dog passed away, Stella, um, you know, Stella had made friends with all of these homeless people because of my, my ministry, she was a part of it. And um, I had to go up to, to the vet, which was just down the street. I walked down there and I had to pick up the box and she had been cremated and I was bringing it home. And I felt just, I was crushed. You know how it is. It was just terrible. It was a long walk home with this box. And I saw Chad 
And uh, Chad came over and he's like, hey, man, are you OK? Sees all this love that you give out. It comes back to you. And I'm like, ah. And I hold, held up the box. I could almost cry telling you the story. And I said, this is Stella. Oh, my gosh. Barry, this guy started to wail. I mean, he was crying so hard. Apparently, he loved Stella, but Stella reminded him of a dog that he had growing up. And we sat down outside of this uh, retail establishment um, and just we both cried together. And it was such a wonderful kind of, I don't know, heal. it was sort of healing. And also just I felt that I was getting back what I put into this relationship at the same time. Funny thing was, is that while this was happening, we didn't realize that um, this establishment was a uh, weed dispensary, and we had caught the attention of the armed police officers inside who came out and rudely chased us away. <laughs> oh, well, so much for that. But it was pretty nice that, uh, that people just, you know, when you care about other people, they care about you. And um, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing that I think it just gets better as you get older and your personality starts again, getting outside of yourself and caring about what's around you. It's a great way to live life. Yeah, it certainly is. Did I tell you, I don't remember, honestly, if it was early this week or if this was last week, because maybe I said this on the last podcast, but Oh, God, Charlie got me up at 2 in the morning. I'm sure it was this week, I think, like Tuesday. He got me up at at 2 in the morning, and he was just, you know, all full of energy. I could not get back to sleep. So I'm going through what movies are free on YouTube, and I run across Marley and me. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen that. Yeah, uh, well, I remember telling you a long time ago that – Several people told me not to ever watch it because, you know, it's all about this dog. And uh, and they said, you know, it's so sad. You know, you're going to it'll kill you. And um, well, <laughs> I had all this time to kill uh, and I watched it. And I got to tell you, it's it's free on YouTube with the ads. But when the ads come up, you can hit skip ads and continue. Right. So I highly recommend it. I, I told Lisa she's got to watch it. Reminds me a lot of Charlie. Reminded me a lot of Bowser. Um, and I, it was a really good movie. And I will say, they did not overplay. the. You know, everybody knows the dog dies at the end of the movie. I didn't know that. You're lying. Everybody- I didn't. I did not know that. Now I, can, now I don't have to watch it. Well, I, I knew that going in, and that's why I- <laughs> And it's telling you it's a good movie. They don't, you know, they could have played that up more and totally tore your heart out to the point where you'd need therapy. You know, you could. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And they did not. They did not. And it stars uh, Owen Wilson and Jennifer Aniston. I love both of them. I do too. Watch the movie. It's really good. All right. I've seen I've seen just the very beginning of it and then didn't watch the rest of it. Maybe I had a sixth sense that the dog was gonna die and I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Because man, movies where the dog dies, they do, they rip your heart out. I'll never forget watching old yeller and where the red fern grows. Oh my gosh, those are terrible endings. 
it should be against the law to do that. But <laughs> it should be. You're right. No, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you too. What was great about the movie? It was way more than just about this dog. It was really about these this two this young couple that are you know in love then they get married then they have kids they move from michigan out to florida work their way up in their careers and buy this really nice house and the photography is beautiful it's Mm. worth watching the movie just for the photography the shots and then um they move somewhere else and i mean i don't want to get too much away but and then it's beautiful even more beautiful there and uh and and they have kids and it's really about uh, going through life it really it's part of life yeah Yeah. interesting i like the concept there um pretty pretty cool stuff you know uh you didn't put up your movie thing uh before you talked about the movie no i was going there (laughs) Uh, (laughs) because i got a movie i wanted to talk about and i just saw it last night so go ahead and and put that up there but it was uh I, I th- and you know what I did usually I do research on the movie before I come on but I just saw it last night and I I wasn't planning on talking about this but it was called Tammy Faye and it was about Tammy Faye Baker Hi. and and I so I remember when the movie came out I didn't want to watch it because I I didn't, I don't know, you know, those her and her husband just crashed and burned so hard. And it was just an embarrassment uh, to Christianity in general. But, uh, you know, we we watched it last night and I got to tell you, I I thought it was a pretty good movie. And uh, the person that played Tammy Faye, and I I can't remember her. Oh, no, you froze name now. But she was really excellent. And, uh, and well, am I there now? Do-do-do. No, you're not. Now you're frozen. Okay. So anyway, so Tammy Faye, uh, good movie. She, oh, well, doggone it. Um, this probably has something to do with. Oh, you're frozen. Tammy Faye. All right. All right. So, uh, type and movie Tammy Faye and see if I can find out who stars in the. Uh, if I could do it real quickly. Oh, you are, you're back. I thought yeah, I'm here all time. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. Oh, that's cool. Cause you're gone again. If, if you pull it up, I, the, the actress, Sammy Faye was outstanding. <laughs> Called the eyes of Tammy Faye. Maybe. Jessica Chastain. She's a good actor. Yeah, that's it. Yep. That's it. She was, uh, she was really, she was outstanding. And the thing was, is by the end of the movie, you're like, you could see sort of parts of yourself in Tammy Faye. Um, it, it really humanized her. And, and, and you could see all of her vulnerabilities. And, yeah, you, you know, like they made her out to, to, to really just be a genuine person. Okay. Did they ever explain that crazy eye makeup? You know, it, it's funny because they started out the show, the movie where she was talking about that and saying that that's just her. Um, the movie itself was really portraying Tammy Faye as a person. It's funny because this is kind of what we were talking about, a person that wasn't afraid to be herself. And uh, even if. Frozen, yeah. Other people didn't find it. 
um, she was a person that definitely wasn't afraid to go out there and just be herself and let God guide her, even though she was making mistakes along the way. Um, she seemed to be able to rise up from her mistakes and, uh, and, and really turn, turn, uh, turn the whole situation around. And it's funny because, you know, the eyes of Tammy Faye, uh, this actress, really her eyes, it was amazing. There was just really something about what she did with her eyes, the sincerity really that was in her eyes in the movie was, um, captured my heart on that whole thing and i saw the whole situation a, a bit differently uh it didn't portray cr the christian organized religion in a very favorable light but i could totally see that coming from secular hollywood and these especially regarding these televangelists and so uh take it for what it's worth uh i it's got a pretty good score around tomatoes the audience uh, rating on that was uh 87%. That's really high. Uh, so I think it's a great movie. You know what I wanted to tell you about? I don't, I don't remember the name of this movie. It was actually a short series. It's, it's kind of on the tip of my tongue. And I just watched it about a month or two ago. And it was about, it was really good. You would have, because it was clearly, uh, it was clearly ripping on religion, Christianity. But it did in a very smart way. And I take it as, as a pretty neutral person, I took it as a really good warning because anything can happen. First of all, I think mostly uh, Christianity or someone's faith does them way, does people way more good than it does harm. Um, generally speaking, it's just when it's abused. And that's what's always in the forefront now in Hollywood or what have you. But this movie was about on this island. And uh, it was a rather small island, and uh, it was really depressing, very dark, very cold place. Uh, and um, and they, it was very religious. So they had one preacher on this island and one church, and everybody went, most everybody went to it, and they were very religious. Well, he goes off to Jerusalem or something, right? he's very old, goes off to Jerusalem or something for um, some kind of a thing, a religious thing, and never seems to come back, but this younger guy comes back and takes over the uh, parish. Is that the right mm. word? Depends on what kind of church, but yep. And he says, yeah, that guy is out there doing all kinds of good work, and you know, maybe he'll come back. But uh, then, uh, since I don't remember the name of the series and everything, I'll go ahead and spill the beans because it was a series of about eight episodes, mm. mini series, whatever, maybe six. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, man, first of all, this is the most charisma. The preacher guy is the most younger guy, is the most charismatic guy you'd ever meet. And uh, he starts, uh, and, and everybody really just loves him, almost forgets about the older guy, the preacher that seems they're never ever going to come back but there's this legend about some kind of a monster uh, on the island that uh, swoops people up something like that every now and then and um and so it's kind of a horror movie mm. and, and you're not seeing the monster but you know like these kids go out partying and, and you know one of them dies as a result like and that all happens and uh th there's different characters like the 
there's the preacher's right-hand woman, whatever her role would really be called, I don't know, but she's a real kiss ass, and, and she can spin uh, biblical stuff on any situation, at any given time, man, she quoting scripture, and, uh, and uh, so, God, I, I forget how it does the slow burn leading up to it, but the, and they never say this, but the truth of the matter is, is the younger preacher is the older guy. This comes out towards the end. So when the old guy went off to uh, wherever that was to do his stuff, uh, weather kicked up or something, and he, and, and he was out in the middle of nowhere, and he went into this cave, and he ends up getting bit by a vampire. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. I wasn't expecting that. All of a sudden, this is late in the series, so now you're going all the way back, and you're like, okay, now things are making sense. What happened all the way through here? So he uh, he got younger from being bitten by this vampire. Yeah, he's a vampire, right. So he comes back, and he's still the religious guy. He does not want to be drinking anyone's blood or anything like that. Oh, <laughs> animals, all these dead animals are being right and so oh it's called something like midnight midnight mass that's what it's called oh my gosh okay i'm gonna do only midnight mass because he can't go out in the sunlight and so his, his woman that i was telling you about that can quote scripture for any given thing you're totally frozen so i hope that you're still hearing uh well she convinces everybody that it's all okay that uh you know he's all okay and oh they've been giving everybody a little bit of blood in the wine at the mass his blood so they're getting little bits of doses of being a vampire oh my gosh <clears throat> so they're all turning into vampires he's actually getting healthier they're in oh he's doing the healing stuff you know he's doing that healing stuff but it's right. healing because of the vampire Oh my gosh, this is crazy, Barry. What a crazy movie this is. What they're doing is showing you how the, the okay, and so at the end, God, I'm totally ruining the whole thing, but whatever at this point. So at the end, uh, there's like the one big midnight mass leads up to, and the, the whole, everything on the island is going to change. God is going to come. It is the reckoning. And everybody's on board because of all these miracles they've been witnessing. But it's all because of this vampirism. Well, they go in there, the doors are locked, and, and uh, the, it convinces the one guy to come up and drink this poison and die. And he says he's going to be reborn in the name of God. He's going to be reborn. So because he's been, all these people have been given vampire blood. Right, right dies and it's horrific this really gross horrific death and being poisoned throwing up and uh, and he then you know and everybody's horrified and trying to get out and they can't get out and then the guy rises from the dead because now he's a vampire oh geez so now other people are like okay give me that poison and all these people start drinking it and they turn into vampires but about half of them won't and know what's going on you know oh Right before that, like when they're at the height of being flipped out, um, they're, they're like, uh, you know, that guy's going to die. What's up? What's up? And the uh, one guy in the 
big in the back in a big overcoat and hat, real dark, who's always kind of in the background through the show, comes up onto the stage and takes his hat off and coat off and these giant wings. He looks like a man bat. Oh boy. Things come out. But this lady's still quoting the scripture and telling them how he's an angel because he's got wings. He's the angel. Mm, mm. So this whole thing is telling you the moral to the story is how you can take Christianity and bamboozle anybody into thinking anything. You yeah, want. yeah. Because you can quote the scripture for any given thing. And like I said, interesting. And everybody starts drinking all the poison and getting reborn as vampires. Then it's a whole big bloodbath, right? So that's what the movie's all about. So it's really well done, really intelligent. What a spin. And if I didn't give the whole thing away, I'd say you should check it out. But now you know the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) But it's an interesting concept about the fact that Christianity can be uh, corrupted into something that's completely anti-Christianity. And uh, the Bible itself warns about that, you know, the old wolves in sheep's clothing, um, you know, that that that's really what that's about. And what, what it's really referring to is people in leadership in the church coming to you and appearing like they're on God's side, but they're not. And they're using the church uh, to for their own purposes or to corrupt themselves or to make themselves feel good about themselves. There's a lot of different reasons for this. But, um, you know, and we've seen like, for instance, when you when you started talking about they were on this island, I wanted to ask, was the island Guyana because, uh, you know, the Guyana tragedy with Jim Jones. Are you familiar with that? No, no, no. Oh, well, this is where the old uh, he's drinking the Kool-Aid comes from. Uh, Jim Jones made his whole uh, church drink this poison Kool-Aid and they all died on the island. A really horrible thing back in the 70s. But uh, this is a total corruption of Christianity. You see this happen with cults as well, um, where people say that they're Jesus Christ and they're very charismatic people and they're able to uh, to fool people. One of the things that is in the Bible that's interesting is that the devil uh, goes around like um, like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. And the fact is, is that the Jesus is is uh, depicted in the Bible as the Lion of Judah. So in other words, the devil is going around acting like he's Jesus, roaring at people, making people feel like he's that God is mad at them and has rejected them or wants to kill them. And um, this is his gimmick. This is his uh, uh, modus operandi, right? This is how he. This is how he works. And uh, so many people have fallen for that. And uh, he never. The other thing in the Bible is he never quotes scripture. He quotes scripture all the time in the Bible, uh, but he but he always leaves out some little tiny detail. Uh, so this is why for Christians, they got to know, they need to know the Bible for themselves. Don't rely on somebody else to tell them all this stuff. Look into it for yourself. Anyway, I could go on and on about that, but an interesting movie illustrating exactly what it actually says in the Bible. Look out, there's uh, vampires out there. <laughs> they want to drink your blood. It's also very interesting, this whole blood concept. Uh, how that is a central part of the Bible as well. It says the life is in the blood and how vampires, it's all this blood stuff, and it, but, but it's being used for evil. Really interesting stuff, Barry. 
And what I wanted to say is not only Christianity or religion, it's any agency of power, such as a government or political figure. Oh, good point. Wow. Touche. I don't know. Have you read anything interesting in the news lately? <laughs> I know that's a, a joke, right? Because, uh, gosh, here we are. What could be the beginning of World War III, we don't know. Uh, we'll have to work and see how, how this all turns out. But it doesn't look good, as uh, you and I both know. It's horrible. What's going on is absolutely horrible. Yeah. So have you, have you seen any, of course, we're talking about Russia invading the Ukraine and that all just happened earlier this week. Um, have you seen any of these video, any video coverage of what's going on out there? I more, more have seen them available. I don't really, I don't want to watch a bunch of people getting blown up or anything. So I haven't. Yeah. But yeah, uh, we're in a day and age where everybody, guys on a, on a battlefield are taking videos with their cell phones. Yeah, not only that, but I mean, they're attacking right now. They're they're attacking Kiev, the uh, capital of the Ukraine. Very, It's a city of three million people. It's a very populated city. So you've got people, civilians that are honkering down there uh, that, you know, they're just looking out their window and they all have they all have cell phones. They all have you know, smartphones. So they're, they're videoing stuff too. And the atrocities of war are right there in living color. This is, this is, this is horrifying stuff that's happening to these people. And one of the things that we learned was that uh, Zelensky, the president of the Ukraine had uh, uh, solicited any uh, man, woman, or child to grab a gun. They've got apparently uh, like 10,000 rifles were shipped to Kiev and anybody can grab one and be uh, a combatant against the invasion of the Russians. Well, that's all well and fine, but what it does is it makes every civilian uh, an armed combatant, and so therefore it makes it so that the Russians have the, I wouldn't say legal right, but uh, according to the rules of war, if there is such a thing, um, that uh, civilians are targets. And this is not a pretty sight. And I think we're just getting to the, I mean, we're just beginning here. This is, this is just the start of something that could become something absolutely huge. I, I, I don't have words for it, but I'm so angry with Putin for doing this, and I know the glee that our military uh, generals and the whole military industrial complex is uh, participating. They're like, wahoo, man, we got our forever war back. And, um, you know, they're ramping up production on everything right now. And I just, th I think I feel like the majority of Americans feel, and that's like, it's not our war, man. This is more of a European problem than it is a Western problem, and we should be supporting our allies, not taking the lead, but they're so also willing and uh, and able to have us do that and expect us to do it, expect us to finance it. How many trillions of dollars in debt are we? And yet everybody expects us to finance this thing, and we do predominantly, and I bet we will. And uh, I don't know, I'm sick of all of this. I think everybody's sick of well, and, and I see exactly what you're talking about when it comes to the Ukraine. It's like, okay, you guys have been 
this has been brewing for some time. And is this really our battle? But the where, where the complication really comes in is our relationship with NATO. And uh, we we are a part of the NATO alliance. Uh, the uh, what is it? It's the um, Northern um, Alliance Treaty Organization. So we're a part of this alliance. And there's something called Article Five in the Charter of NATO that says if one is attacked, we're all attacked, and that we all would uh, throw in to defend ourselves. And so. Uh, our president is supporting Article 5, which in an alliance, that's what you're supposed to do. So the fact is, is that Ukraine is not a NATO country whatsoever. They, there's There was talk of Ukraine becoming a NATO country, which really uh, it was a pretext that Putin used for this invasion. Um, and the fact is, if you take a look at the geography of Ukraine, it it's bordered on the east by Russia, but on the on the uh, northern and western side, there's all these NATO countries that are right there. So there's a few problems here. One is that they look at the fact that uh, you're going to get refugees coming out of Ukraine that are going into these NATO countries, and we we've sent troops out to Poland and um, uh, Belarus. Uh, I believe, and um, these, uh, and in, in preparation for these refugees that are coming over, the big fear is that these Russian soldiers would infiltrate the refugees and come into these NATO countries. So, and when you take a look at what is what is Putin's ultimate objective here, is it the reunification of? Ukraine with the with Russia as in the former Soviet Union or is it a bigger thing which many experts believe that this is this is really what his goal is is to recreate the Soviet Union which includes what's called the Eastern Bloc you've got Poland you've got Lithuania you've got Latvia you've got Romania these are all a part of the old Soviet Union which as an ex-KGB agent Putin was a part of and uh, he gave a speech re recently within the last week talking about the reasons for invasion. And it was all about returning to the glory days of the Russian empire. Not only that, but um, the uh, one of the statements that he made recently was that, um, let's see, the autocratic leader ominously warned other countries to back off, threatening that any interference would, quote, lead to consequences you have never seen in history, unquote, in what many interpret as a reference to Russia's nuclear arsenal. So you've got that going on. I've got a little bit of further information on this, uh, Barry, because if you take a look at what's going on in Ukraine right now, many of us have the false notion that this is all new, that this is just now happening. But the fact is, is that Russia actually invaded the Ukraine back in 2014, and they have uh, separatist groups that have been holed up in, in the Ukraine for the last eight years. And this battle has actually been going on for eight years. At much of the time, it's been a cold battle. So I wanted to read you this uh, out of Politico which kind of uh, gives a, uh, a good overview of what's been going on and what, what was happening right before this, uh, this attack. <clears throat> it says in here, this just came out, it's called Killing, Kill Your Commanding Officer. 
on the front lines of Putin's digital war with Ukraine. I find this to be very interesting because this is the new war that we're dealing with. The Russians and their proxies have used digital technology on the battlefield, not only to assist artillery in rapidly acquiring and engaging targets, but also to disrupt communications and wage psychological warfare, like sending threatening text messages to soldiers. Beyond the front lines, Russian efforts have knocked out government websites and spread damaging disinformation in towns and cities across the country. Digital warfare has threatened more of Ukrainian society since 2021 than traditional munitions. Many in the U.S. military also worry about its own ability to go head-to-head with Russian-style hybrid warfare. The Russian government's digital savvy capabilities are nothing like that which the U.S. military contended with during the long wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria. Um, Another soldier added... There was a, here's a quote. There was a situation recently, a dude gets a call from his mom and dad saying they got a message that, quote, your son is dead, unquote. So people get scared. It happens a lot. One last thing here, the 24th Brigade, uh, uh, Brigade first learned about the danger of carrying cell phones on the front lines years ago on July 11, 2014 in the town of Zelenopilia, uh, Roughly five miles from the Ukrainian border with Russia, the brigade had planned to sever the supply line of the Donbass separatists when electronic warfare caught them by surprise. Witnesses described the scene to me. First, there came the humming of an unmanned aerial vehicle, a uh, UAV, able to clone cellular networks to locate active cell phones. followed by cyber attacks against Ukrainian command and control systems. Their communication systems disabled. Ukrainian forces were unable to coordinate with one another. Then short-range rocket systems from inside Russia disabled two battalions, including T-64 tanks and amphibious tracked vehicles. Three trucks carrying troops exploded, stumbling from uh, the transport. One soldier clutched his entrails and shouted for his mother. The attack killed 30 Ukrainians and wounded hundreds, and it lasted roughly two minutes. This is the t- this is the new warfare that we're dealing with. It's psychological warfare. It's um, it's it, it's called hybrid warfare. Uh, these are non-conventional methods of warfare. So really what's happening through cyber attacks, the ability for them to collect uh, cell phone information, which, by the way, the Russians own all the cell phone towers in in Ukraine. Uh, They're able to send these messages uh, directly to to people and um, and, and, and citizens and terrify them before anything, before any war ever happens, so that by the time troops show up at the door, they're so they're so afraid that they overreact, they underreact, they surrender, they do whatever it is uh, because because they've been so. Te- this is like terrorism on a whole different level. They've been terrorized so much that they they're uh, they've virtually been taken out of the battle. Uh, there was one guy that said this guy who served for 18 months from 2015 to 16 as a private in the Ukrainian armed forces had a few days earlier told this guy about uh, the reporter during his active duty. He had received text messages from Russian backed separatists across no man's land saying soldier, go home, soldier, kill your commanding officer, 
surrender. We will defeat you anyway. This is our land and you are in, you are Ukrainian fascists. Long story short, um, it was uh, he, by uh, a few days after he received the message, an endless fusillade a tore through the unit. It was the first time this guy saw his fellow soldiers killed. He went around collecting their body parts in a blanket, trying tying them up and putting them in a car trunk and taking them to the morgue. Um, this is this is this is a whole nother level of warfare and what can happen, uh, the fear that uh, can come out of this type of uh, uh, hybrid warfare is something we haven't seen before, something that our our troops aren't used to. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new day. And that's what I'm saying is that the result of this war uh, could be a change that happens all across the world uh, to prepare ourselves for an attack that could happen here. Already what we're seeing in our own world here in the US is businesses are, are honkering down right now and looking at their cyber plans. They're looking at their plans to combat against espionage because what we've seen here with this type of warfare is it starts in one place and quickly expands all over the place. One last thing I'll say here, Barry, and I'll give you a chance to respond. But when we take a look at the economic sanctions that um, the Biden administration and many in the West have put on to Russia as a result of this invasion, what we also see is that China has come back and told Putin between Xi Jinping and, and Putin, they've China has decided to cover their base as far as the finances go on this whole thing. So in other words, the sanctions seem to not affect Russia whatsoever and only have an effect on the ones putting the sanctions out there. And what we're about to see here is uh, larger gasoline prices happening, larger oil prices happening, and that boils down to our everyday experiences where we're shopping because every product on the shelf relies on fuel to get it there. So we'll see rising prices and I don't think that's all we're going to see. We'll have to see what happens next. Well, you could thank Biden again for shutting down that pipeline as soon as he got into office. That's that's a big one, Barry. Um, and, you know, the fact is, is that we had to go into our oil reserves. It was the biggest cache of oil reserves that we went into. This was before this happened. So what's going to happen next? It seems to me that a good move for that administration would be to go back on that whole thing regarding the pipelines. Uh, and remember also that uh, Biden was in approval to the uh, pipeline, the gas pipeline that was going between Russia and Germany. Uh, I think it's called Nord Stream. Um, that is in debate right now. But these things, it, it's not like, you know, we look at the, everything that led up to this war. This has been happening for years. We, it's not just Biden that screwed up on this. We, we've had a, uh, a cacophony of screw ups that have led to this, this particular level. And I kind of see Biden in a position where he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't right now. There's not a, there's not, it's sort of like our hands are tied on this whole thing. Meanwhile, you've got China out there salivating over Taiwan. And uh, this seems to be like 1939 all over again. The dominoes could easily fall and cause really the West to be against these totalitarian governments, including um, uh, China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran. Don't forget about them. They're in on this as well. 
Yeah, I know it's a it's a sad state that we're in right now. And I'd also add that India won't stop trade with uh, Russia either. So well, it's a problem. Um, they're so in bed with the Russians, especially when it comes to fuel, uh, that it's hard it, it, to dig out of that is going to hurt you. And uh, it's it's uh, this is a this is a tough place. And, and, and we're going to hear a lot of rhetoric and we're going to hear a lot of propaganda as well. And we're going to have to uh, put these comments that are coming from our own government to the smell test, uh, because we know that we can't trust them either. Oh, that's for sure. No, I'm mostly worried about our economy. Um, our economy can't take any more kicks to the stomach, you know? And uh, as far in debt as we are already, and then to put uh, the, the, the problem with our gas supply is going to be huge, the problem with oil. And man, we can't get off of these fossil fuels quick enough, if you ask me. Rogan had a good... Uh, podcast the other day to counter uh, the points made of uh, uh, the previous guest that he had on not too long ago, who was very uh, anti uh, anti getting off fossil fuels. He, he's a guy that got bought off by the fossil fuel industry and uh, changed all of his tune around into talking points about how great fossil fuels are. And so Rogan had a guy on just the other day at least it seemed like that to me, uh, could have been a few weeks ago, but um, who challenged, you know, he gave all these points about how actually wind and solar are very cheap and as cheap as natural gas and, uh, and uh, oil. And, uh, and, he, and he backs it up with real science. I thought it was really good. So it's another one of those things, well, pick and choose what you want to believe. Well, here's here's something that I learned last year uh, during as a result of the Texas freeze, because um, remember that whole colossal event, uh, wind and solar. Great uh, when there's wind and when the sun is out and when snow isn't covering up all your solar panels. Um, that was the problem in Texas is that it was uh, cloudy and it was snowy. So they weren't able to get the energy from solar and it wasn't windy. So they couldn't get the energy from the wind. And uh, you, you gotta add another component to this, which is nuclear. And, um, and they have nuclear power, uh, but there was no failover system between those three energy producers. And uh, that's really caused a near uh, fatality to the energy system in Texas. So the thing about these renewable energies is that they're not consistent. The only one that has been consistent is, has been uh, nuclear. And, and there's been this huge push in the United States against nuclear because of things like Three Mile Island and Chernobyl. Um, but there are ways of, to safely back those things up. And the, the thing is sustainability with this type of power. And right now, wind and solar have vulnerabilities that we already saw in this country. Here's an interesting thing is the Russian. So, you know, Chernobyl is 80 miles north of Kiev. And the Russians actually took over Chernobyl yesterday. I'm hearing in the news that several of the Chernobyl employees have been kidnapped and they're being held for ransom right now. And also the uh, Ukrainian government has come out and said that their sensors in that area are showing 
much higher levels of radioactivity in the area right now. They believe it's because all those soldiers went through, uh, I can't, there's a name for it. It's like no man's land. It's like the areas that were contaminated and they stirred that all up. And now these radioactive particles are all in the air now. So stay tuned for that. So nuclear has got its downside as well. I don't know what the answer is, Barry, but I agree. Uh, we're being held hostage by these fossil fuels right now. And um, it's it, it has the potential of having a giant effect on the world. And yet we have fossil fuels here in this country. We're just unwilling to 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 mine those. And, and we're more willing to rely on countries like Russia and Iran to provide us with these things. And they sort of have us in a chokehold as as of now. Yeah, that's when a, cap a capitalist economy uh, gets you vulnerable. When you go with the, the, you know, it's going to be cheaper to import it from these different countries for different reasons, and then we trade and have good relationships, and it gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. But you're right about that. Uh, that dependence is definitely a big problem. The guy I was talking about too, he's all for, he's all for nuclear as well. He just says that it's a very expensive route to go. Uh, and I know we've heard different things. It's, again, pick and choose which you want to, to believe. Right. I talked about the Texas thing. The, the problem wasn't with the, the solar and uh, windmills. The problem was with the, the, the traditional uh, gas thing. That was yeah. Well, when they went to try to go to that, that's true. When they went to try to go to these renewables, it, it wasn't working for them. And then they they... They almost their their nuclear was down as well. They these there could have been a it could have been a lot worse than what ended up happening over there. You've also got a um, uh, a a complex a, it, that that handles their energy that's not a part of the government. Uh, I think it's I can't remember the name that they have there. I almost said it, but it didn't come out. Um, that is a private organization that's sort of unaccountable that was in the middle of this whole thing. They're like an energy broker. There was a lot of different problems that were happening over there. But it did come out that, hey, you can't you can't 100% rely on wind and solar. That That's what really I got out of it. Advocate for that either. I, I'm just saying I think you, anybody that's listening, should listen to that podcast. Of course, I don't have the guy's name right here. Um, but it's another piece of the puzzle. I thought it was another valuable piece of the puzzle. Not, I, not, I agree. Everything I hear or read, but it's nice when you get both opposing sides and you can start putting some things together and realize where some misinformation is. And it's, it, that's good advice, man, because to, especially today, you cannot rely on one source. Otherwise, you're going to be in a ditch. And he's not advocating for any overnight change in anything. He says over decades. Yeah, I agree with that, too, because, I mean, this has become so politicized that, um, you know, it's like we got to do this by this time. And that's when the wolves in sheep's clothing come in. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Another good point that he made is about the electric cars and stuff and uh, batteries. And he said, but the nice thing about science is, is that the more demand that we will put on electricity, the more profitable it'll be to come up with uh, alternate sources of uh, instead of those, uh, those certain minerals and, and uh, comp uh, elements that are mined for these batteries. 
that we'll come up with that, some kind of synthetic solution to it or something. When the money's right, when somebody can become, you know, multimillionaires from that little solution right there, that uh, it, it always happens in science. It's a big deal too, Barry, because right now cobalt is a big uh, mineral or element that they need for these batteries. And um, it can only be found in certain parts of the world, mostly in third world countries. Afghanistan, as a matter of fact, has a huge cash cobalt. Um, however, mining that uh, is messy. And uh, traditionally, we're seeing that they're using a lot of slave labor and child labor in order to get these uh, get these minerals right now. So it's a big mess. And then on the on the flip side of that is uh, these batteries uh, going into landmines and creating a an environmental problem as well. So there's there's no perfect solution here, but we shouldn't that shouldn't cause us to stop looking for solutions and improving the way you're talking about uh, and using these in tandem with each other and po potentially phasing out some over another. But you can't you can't shoot yourself in the foot to be able to do that. And I hear a lot of shoot yourself in the foot kind of talk like we just got to ruin these oil companies and uh, move over to this. Well, we're not ready to do that. It's there's a there's a transitional process that has a logical transitional process that we really need to focus on. Right, right, right. Where do you want to go from here? Well, I think we used up all our time in the first one. We were about an hour and 15, I think, uh, maybe an hour and 20. Everything's been uh, such a comedy of errors today. I had no idea. Is my audio even uh, legible? Yeah, I can hear you. It's it's harder to talk. Uh, you know, sometimes we talk at the same time. It, it, we, we drown each other out more like that. But I can hear you. Um, I think it'll work. And they do it on the news all the time. I hate that though. And I swear to God, it's like people that uh, bring on guests. It's like they tell them, "Hey, use your crappiest uh, old laptop speaker, okay?" And I, I mean, I can hardly hear what people are saying. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's like, wait, you, how do you not know to do this uh, anyway? Yeah, I'm with you on that whole thing. All right, do you want to do a quick uh, lighter side story? Yeah, maybe? yeah. Why not? All right, I gotta tell you, I just found this about three minutes ago, so. I got to find here it is. So let's see what it's about, but it seems like a moving story. So I hugged her, says the garbage man. And his act of kindness is caught on film. And something I was reading quickly, uh, someone says, we just saw him hugging her for, I don't know, I want to say five minutes, if that. But it was a real hug, Carlos Gonzalez told News 12. So I am. I shared the uh, sound, and tell me if you can hear this or if it's too loud for on a positive note, a Norwalk Perfect. garbage truck driver's act of kindness is getting some attention after it caught on camera and posted to social media. News of Connecticut's Marissa Alter with a story about spreading good. As Dave and Charlie's hometown deli got ready for the morning rush, the owners looked out the window to see a garbage truck driver stop his route and approach a young woman on the side of the road. She was clearly down on her luck and needed help. We just saw him hugging her for about I don't know, I want to say five minutes, if that, but I mean, it was a, it was a, a, it was a real hug. Carlos Gonzalez says the driver also gave the woman money. His business partner, Dave Kubin, took a couple pictures and posted to a Norwalk Facebook group about the good he'd just seen. That's just Dave being Dave. You know, he sees something nice and he just wants to show appreciation. 
The post, which soon spread, gave the driver a shout out and called on the community to help find him so the deli owners could give him a free lunch. We wanted to show him we appreciate him, you know, doing something like that because it's, we need that in the world today. Social media did its thing and led the deli and us to Mike Nance, an employee at Win Waste Innovations. Anytime you see somebody like walking around with everything that they own, talking to themselves, I don't know. It just, it just took over me. Nance says after talking to the woman and helping her out, he felt compelled to offer more comfort. So I, I hugged her, I said a prayer, and that was it. Except it wasn't, thanks to social media. I don't really know how to feel about that. I'm a garbage man. We're about the, the community. I'm about the community. I love Norwalk. I'm from Norwalk. I was born here. So whatever I could do to help, that's what I'm going to do. Coincidentally, it is Random Acts of Kindness Day, and while February 17th may be the official date to celebrate, it is a year-round effort for Nance. I try to be the best person I could be every day. Nance's good deed inspired the deli to give back to the woman, too. After we saw him do that, we uh, made her a little breakfast, brought it over to her. So it's a domino effect. One Gonzalez. That guy's just getting shameless plugs now. Uh, but, the, uh, but that's so cool. I like what he said at the end. It's a domino effect. It's you, 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 you break the seal of kindness and then more kindness flows out. Um, but because of this one guy's example, and you know, we were talking about this earlier about uh, getting outside of yourself. And, and it looks like this guy's superpower is also love. Uh, he, he sees him. He doesn't see himself as a garbage man. Uh, he so, sees himself as a, a member of the community that has a mission much bigger than his job. And uh, thank God there's people like that out there. I love that guy. Yeah, no, I do, too. It was such a simple story. But my God, so moving. No I, kidding. No kidding. That was beautiful, Barry. Genuineness of that guy, you know. Yeah, it, I yeah. Okay, so that's that's it, everybody. Sorry about for all the problems here this week. Been a rough week. Thanks for bearing with us. Yeah, and next week I'm gonna be coming to, at you from Florida somehow. Or oh my gosh. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, do you want to do an after show or what? Uh let's try it out. All right, guys. We'll we'll see you next week.